0: All right, Romans 8 is uh, where we're at. We're going to do verse 18 to 25 this morning. We're just moving verse by verse through uh, the book of Romans. This passage, I think, is going to be very helpful to a lot of you on how you see the world as a believer and a process, some of the things going on uh, in your life and uh, in your heart. Hey, uh, I wanted to mention to you, though, before we get into uh, the teaching, that uh, it's in the heart of uh, your pastors, myself included. Uh, that tonight we want to invite you back here. Uh, I know that's kind of old school. Back in the day, that's the way it was on Sundays. You come to church in the morning, and then you come back at night. You get a little break, go have some lunch or something like that. Uh, And we don't do that. We have four services, though, on Sunday, and one of them is at night, uh, 6.30. Um, uh, But tonight, I'm going to shift things up. And I know that normally on Sunday night, I would just teach the same message I'm about to teach to you. And uh, be of service to people who can't make it to church on Sunday morning, and Sunday night is a better fit for them for whatever reason. Uh, but tonight, um, I'm gonna, we're inviting the whole church to come back for a night of prayer and uh, seeking the Lord. Uh, we just want to sing a little bit to Him. We want to take communion. We want to give an opportunity for us to be able to pray for you, for us as a church community to be able to cry out to God. Uh, basically because of what we just prayed about a few minutes ago. You know, it just feels to me like this is an opportunity for the gospel in the generation that we are living in. This is the, the, I think that this nation is becoming absolutely ripe for a revival because we are going to be coming to a place more and more where we recognize only Jesus can satisfy us. Only Jesus can solve this riddle. And, uh, so the Bible teaches us as a people that one of the ways that we as Christians process the stuff that we see and watch, uh, one of the ways that we do it uh, is not Facebook. But prayer. We go to God in prayer. We cry out to God in prayer. It's not the only thing that we're able to do, but it's a major thing that we do as God's people. So uh, we wanted and felt led to give our church an opportunity to come together to do that uh, tonight. So you may have never been part of a prayer meeting in your life. I'm sorry that that hasn't been a part of your life. It's awesome to be able to come together and pray. So uh, tonight, 6.30, we'll have children's ministry available. We're going to beef up the Calvary Kids ministry downstairs, and some precious people will be rolling up their sleeves and serving again to be able to watch uh, any of your kids that you want to bring back uh, tonight. But we're going to meet right here in the sanctuary, and uh, we're going to pray and cry out to God. So if that is you, we'd love to have you out here tonight at uh, six. Thirty. Okay, did I say that clearly? Six thirty tonight. Okay, I hope you can be here for a prayer uh, tonight at six thirty. Okay. All right. Let's read this together. Romans chapter eight, verse eighteen to twenty-five. He says, "For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory." that is to be revealed to us. For the creation, verse 19, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, verse 20, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the firstfruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, verse 24. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So let me pray. Father, we we come to you this morning and just pray, Lord, and ask that this truth would get into our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would give me strength in teaching it, Lord, from your Holy Spirit. Give me energy and clarity and conviction, Lord, as I communicate. And Father, for us and our hearts, we pray that there be a receptive nature a willing spirit lord as we just hear lord from you and what you are saying to us so we ask lord for your grace lord your strength your power uh, in us as we look into your perfect uh, word this morning we thank you lord and praise you in jesus name we pray amen amen so groaning There is a lot for Christians to try to process and figure out. Because what we've been looking at in the gospel here in Romans 1 through 8 is this beautiful, powerful, incredible move of God upon human hearts. That we were so lost, depraved, broken, that we were literally, as Paul says in Romans chapter 3, under sin. It was, we were not over it. It was under us. It was dominating us to that degree. Coloring everything. Coloring everything. And we were trying to find righteousness in some way. Acceptance. Trying to find acceptance. And we couldn't find it. And so Paul announces in Romans 3... That a righteousness and acceptance from God has appeared apart from the doing, the keeping of the law. And that righteousness has come to us in the form of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for us, for our sin. That if we believe in him, we believe that he substituted himself for us. We believe in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. And God gives to us then that righteousness, that acceptance that we were longing for, that we were looking for. All right, so we have it. We have, as believers, if you're a believer, you have to be a believer, but if you are a believer, you have the righteousness of Christ, the acceptance of God upon uh, your life. He sees you as clean, forgiven, doesn't see any sin, shame, none of that it's done away with. We have, Paul said in Romans 5, currently peace with God, right? Remember that this morning, you have peace with God, you have peace with God. So we have all this. We've been transferred, Paul says, from Adam to Christ, Just like that, by belief, transfer from Adam into Christ. It's glorious what we have in Jesus. And Paul has been telling us here in in Romans, especially in chapter 8, that we have all these incredible blessings and that the Holy Spirit is now living inside of us and that he is pulling us along in this growth or this sanctification. Like in chapter 6, we learned, okay, we need to put to death the deeds of the body. We need to take these bodies of ours and submit them to God. Sin is an enemy trying to get in and sit on the throne, but we want God to be on the throne, so we have to present our members to God as instruments for righteousness. But we discover that that's hard. There's a struggle there. That's Romans 7. So we learn that in Romans 8. But no, the Holy Spirit, he's helping us in that process. He's helping us to present our bodies uh, to God as living sacrifices and to be seated upon the throne. So that's good news. The Spirit is living inside of us and helping us understand that we are, as we saw last week, adopted into God's family. We're we're co-heirs, brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ. And the spirit actually inside of a believer causes a believer to cry out to God, "Abba, Father." That's an intimate father-child relation uh, that we ex- relationship that we experience. This is the Holy Spirit doing that inside of us? All right, So we have all that, but we have other stuff as well because we have suffering. And what Paul explains here. Is a few different things. First of all, he's going to tell us how to process the suffering that we go through. He says it's not worthy to be compared to the glory that's coming. And then secondly, we're going to learn that the creation, you think you're suffering? We're going to learn that the creation is suffering even more because we're suffering because of our own sin, but the creation is suffering because of our sin as well. And so the creation is suffering when it wasn't even its own fault, all right? So we're going to learn that the creation is actually groaning for the day that Christ returns. And then we're also going to see that we ourselves as believers, we are groaning. We are groaning for that. And I'm going to try to define for you what that groaning looks like. I think it's a little bit more than what happened to you when your alarm clock went off this morning. Uh, Okay, it's, it's, it's groaning. That's part of the groaning, but it's more than that as a believer. And then we're going to discover biblical hope and how biblical hope carries us through all the suffering and through all the groaning. But this is an intensely important passage for us because so often Christians are absolutely decimated by their groaning because of confusion. If I'm a child of God, if I'm adopted by God, if the Holy Spirit is living inside of me, if he has forgiven me of my sin and eradicated my shame, if he has redeemed me, if all of this is past tense, why do I groan? Why aren't I just joyful all the time, stoked all the time, happy all the time? And part of the reason for that is it's not all the way finished. In other words, what we're going to look at today is it's, we're saved, but we're not saved. And what I mean by that is, positionally, you're all the way saved. But your body is still your body. And you're still here in this broken world. So it's like we're saved, but we're waiting for our salvation. We're adopted, but we're waiting for our adoption. We're redeemed, but we're waiting for our redemption. We're in the kingdom, but we're waiting for the kingdom. And when you're in that in between moment, that's where the groaning happens, all right? So that's what we're going to learn about uh, today. So let's look at the first thing that Paul says in verse 18 uh, and 19. It's very helpful to us. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of of the sons of God, Paul's word there in verse eighteen is the word consider. He comes to a conclusion. That word consider is actually a mathematical word. It's uh, he's thought about it. He's done the mathematics of this whole thing, and he's come to a consideration, balancing it all out. And the mathematical consideration that Paul comes to is. My sufferings right now, our sufferings right now, the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing to uh, the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Now, we have to consider who actually wrote this when we read this. It's Paul the Apostle who wrote that the present sufferings are not worth comparing to the future glory the reason why that's important is because if i wrote this you know because i've had uh you know i grew up in pacific grove very tough very tough the mean streets of pacific grove okay um you know i've lived on the monterey peninsula my whole life i've had my share of some pain and some suffering no doubt things that i wouldn't wish on you know my worst enemy but I'm no Paul the Apostle. This is a guy who, when pressed by the Corinthian church, and they were saying to him, "You know, we really don't think that you have strong ministry credentials," he said to them, "Okay, you're forcing me to boast about my ministry credentials." And when he listed his credentials, he didn't write about how much he knew or spiritual experiences until he talked in chapter 12 about a revelation that he'd had, but. For the most part, what he held out as a credential was his suffering. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been betrayed. He said deaths often. I mean, this guy suffered intensely uh, for the kingdom of God and for the body of Christ. And so this man who suffered so intensely, he says, you know, I've calculated all this pain that I've gone through, all this suffering that I've endured, I've calculated that it is not worth comparing To the glory that is coming. Now, that helps us on a few levels. First of all, it helps us understand and remember. I don't think we forgot this, but sometimes Christians do kind of get a little fuzzy on this. So it helps us remember that as believers, we still suffer. Amen? We still suffer. All right? Sometimes we get the idea that, well, you know, as God's children, I won't suffer. But actually, as a believer, We suffer in now a fresh way. In other words, we suffer just like everyone suffers. We experience sickness and pain and heartbreak and poverty and uh, injustice. We experience all of these things uh, just like everybody else, the human condition. We all die. Uh, But then on top of that, as Christians, we have a new brand of suffering that comes into our lives at times. Jesus said, When the world hates you, you know, don't freak out about it. This is my paraphrase. Don't freak out about it because it hated me before it hated you. So that's a new level of suffering that sometimes comes in, the form of persecution. Or sometimes the suffering that is new to us as Christians is just that of a burden. When Paul did list all of his suffering that he endured, the final thing that he mentioned before talking about a revelation that he'd had in heaven, he says, and besides all of these things, shipwrecks, nakedness, poverty, chains, imprisonment, betrayal, deaths, he says, and besides all of this, my deep concern for the churches. He had this burden inside of him that was Painful. It was one of the hardest things for him to endure was to look out and think about the churches, the health of the churches, the vitality of the churches, the uh, strength of the people of God. It was hard for Paul as he endured that burden, that weight that was upon his heart. And what Paul is announcing to us is that in the middle of all of that suffering, there is a glory that is coming that far surpasses and outweighs the suffering that we are currently enduring. Now, in other places of the Bible... Uh, suffering is mentioned, and actually earlier in the book of Romans, suffering is mentioned to believers in order to help us understand that it can produce something in our lives right now, like second corinthians four seventeen I consider that this momentary light affliction is working for us an eternal weight of glory. So we have the idea then that as I go through a trial. God uses it in my life. Romans chapter 5. As I go through suffering, as I endure in suffering, it produces in me uh, character, and that character produces it within me uh, a level of hope that is so strong and beautiful. So at times in the Bible, suffering is mentioned so that we can understand, cool, as I'm going through it as a Christian, God is making me stronger, and I'm uh, a powerful thing is happening in my life. Like if you're ever a weightlifter at all, or something like that, and I, I, I'm, I'm not much of a weightlifter, as you can probably tell, but uh, you know, every there have been a little seasons in my. I like to say it. I have like a quarterly workout. That's what I do. Like once a season, I do a, an upper body uh, workout. So four times a year. But uh, if you're working out like with a good uh, workout partner, that last repetition, you know, one more. Do one more where it breaks down the muscles and you know all of that so that you heal stronger and you add that strength. So there's an element of that in suffering other places in the Bible tell us. But here, Paul isn't communicating that. What Paul is communicating here is that as you go through suffering, one of the ways to get through it, and we're gonna look at hope in a moment, but one of the ways to have hope is to understand that what you're facing now and what I'm facing now has no comparison whatsoever to the glory that is coming. That mathematical equation for us helps us at times get through. And what I want you to understand is what Paul's saying about the glory that's revealed. Because some of your Bibles that you're holding say, the glory at the end of verse 18 revealed in us. My Bible, ESV, says the glory revealed to us. I think, though, that that the glory revealed in us is, at least in part, what Paul is trying to communicate. Because then in verse 9, he says, because the creation, like a person is waiting, the creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. So it's not just that we get to see the glory of God someday, it's that the glory of God will get to see it and we'll get to actually consume it and experience it inside of these bodies of ours. So one of the things that Paul is saying here is that there's a glory that we're gonna be able to see, but we're not just gonna see it, it's gonna become part of us. So try to imagine the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen. The most beautiful person you've ever seen. The most beautiful uh, space that you've ever been in. The most beautiful or incredible piece of artwork that you've ever seen. And you imagine that, and there's a a part of the human condition where we want to connect to that. We, We want to be a part of that. But the reality is, you can't. It's there and you're here. But when we see God, who is more beautiful than anything we've ever seen, in fact, more beautiful than all we've ever seen in combination, when we see God as believers, we're not only going to be overwhelmed by what we're seeing, but he is going to permeate us. And we're going to actually have that glory revealed, not just to us, but also in us. All right, so Paul is trying to remind us of that as we go through the suffering that we go through in this world. Here we are, God's kids, we're suffering with Jesus. How do we get through it? Well, remember, uh, for one, the mathematics of the glory uh, that is to come. Paul said in Colossians 3, verse four, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory so if you're a christian today that day is coming for you praise god amen this somehow is helpful to us you know as we're just going through the many disasters and the major disasters of life to just kind of set our minds on the fact that you know someday there's a glory that's coming that's going to be so powerful That I am going to exist, and it's going to exist inside of me. It just sets us free. It's just beautiful. All right? So that's part of what Paul is holding out to us. Now, he he mentioned there at the end of verse 19, you probably saw it there, that the creation is waiting eagerly, it's longing eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Because last week, Paul mentioned to us that we are adopted. We are God's children. We're the sons and daughters of God. If you're a believer, that's who you are. So you're not just born and a son of God. That's kind of the modern concept or teaching. But no, you have to actually be born again and become a son of God or a daughter of God. So he's saying the creation is eagerly waiting uh, for That The creation wants that so desperately. Like some of you are dog owners and you've got like the dog that just can't wait for you to get home. You know, it just loves you so much and you make you feel so good, you know, kind of thing. That's the concept of the creation. It is anticipating, waiting for the who is, who's in the kingdom, who's not in the kingdom. But who's in the kingdom is is what the creation is waiting for. Why? Why is the creation waiting for that? Why does the creation even care? Well, here's what he says in verse 20. Here's why. The creation is a little selfish motive in all of this. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And here's the hope, that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So here's why creation is looking forward to the revealing of the sons of God. The reason that creation is looking forward to that is because creation has unwillingly, not through its own doing, been subjected right now to futility. You say, When? did that happen? When was the creation altered and negatively impacted and not of its own doing? Well, of course, we understand that happened at the fall of man, right? When Adam and Eve entered into sin, sin entered into the world, and sin affected not just human beings, but everything that human beings were to rule over, that is planet earth. God said it this way to Adam in Genesis 3, verse 17 and 18. He said to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. So it's as if God is saying to Adam, previously thorns and thistles did not exist. Previously, the ground was blessed for you as you cultivated the earth, but now the ground is cursed and now it will yield thorns and thistles. So when you're out there doing your yard work and you're trying to beat back the weeds and all of that, you can blame Adam for that thing that has happened there. The earth is under a futility because of our sin. Then later in Genesis chapter nine, speaking to Noah after the flood, God said to him there in verse two, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand, they are delivered so there you see a fear that comes upon the animal kingdom and world of man what you're learning there is that there are elements because of the sin of man that have altered the creation and paul is saying here that the creation is under this futility and notice there in verse 21 The creation is hoping that it itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So the creation is looking forward to you and I receiving our new bodies. The creation is looking forward to you and me uh, being a part of Jesus' kingdom forever. The creation is looking forward to that. But it's not without selfish motive. It's not just looking forward to it for my sake or for your sake, but for its own sake. Because the Bible teaches over and over and again that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And so the creation is looking forward to the curse being lifted and for its own redemption to actually come. This is really helpful for us in the way that we view the world as Christians. We are to be good stewards of the world. We're not to be wasteful, you know, earth-damaging people. However, perhaps as we look out at the world and we see obvious signs of things corrupting and winding down, and as we see all of that, maybe we're to understand this world is not even meant to, in its current condition, and cannot, in its current condition, last forever. It just can't. It is going to need to be remade. So, you know, like for instance, when uh, concern comes out about like global warming or something like that, some kind of element like that, it's not for us to just say, well, we don't care. We care. We're to subdue the earth. We're to be good stewards. However, it also might be a clue for us that this place ain't gonna last forever and that Christ must redeem it and restore it and renew it. Uh, forever and ever so that's a helpful element for us to understand that Christ will come and there will be the renovation of the old heaven and the new earth uh, or the old heaven and the old earth and like John said in Revelation 20 21 verse 22 uh, verse 1 and 2 he said then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. So if God is able to redeem you and able to redeem me, the creation is going, yeah, and it can redeem us. It can redeem me as well, all right? So that's a big part of things. Now he says in verse 22, or he says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So again, he's like personified creation, and he's saying creation is is groaning, but it's a productive groaning. It's like the pain of childbirth. All right, um, uh, you think about we we were all born, everybody here. Okay, so you caused somebody pain, and uh, which is a, an interesting study in and of itself. Like the first act of your life, you hurt somebody, <laughs> and but it's a pain. For a mother that is a productive pain, the pain of childbirth. So the pain or the groaning that the earth is going through, same thing. It's a pain that produces. It's an effective kind of pain. It's actually like Childbirth, and maybe even in increasing uh, intensity, like contractions uh, would increase in a woman about to give uh, labor, uh, the Earth is going through that increasing pain, ultimately where it will be able to be reborn. All right, here are some of the pains that Christ mentioned, Matthew 24, verse 6 to 13. He says, "And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars." See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Christ mentions there many different versions of the childbirth-like pains that will come upon this earth. So Paul here tells us in Romans 8 that the creation is groaning together In those pains of childbirth, waiting for the day when the pain will subside and the new birth uh, of the heavens and the earth will come. All right, so you're sitting here today, you're going, okay, cool. That's the creation. That's what the creation's going through. Poor creation. I feel so bad for it. Uh, Groaning and uh, having a hard time and looking forward to its redemption. And that's just what we're under. We're just under this curse. You know, like last weekend I went out with a friend of mine we went down to Big Sur we got on the Pine Ridge Trail and we're just enjoying like the beauty the majesty it's just wonderful we're just running along but We're under the curse still, so as much as I'm enjoying the creation, I'm also, I got an eye out and an ear out for, like, any animals that I don't want to come across, you know, I'm keeping an eye out for rattlesnakes, you know, in the bushes on the side of the trail, in the heat of the day, you know, stuff like that, because it's beautiful, but it's broken. It's beautiful, but it's fallen. In fact, the guy that I was running with, I just got to say this to get it on, because this is the service, I think, that we post online. But he, uh, we came around a corner, and he, he took a digger, and he just went right into a, <laughs> right into a big bush. And uh, uh, there was some poison oak in there. I think it was all right. He made it. But poor guy, I mean, it was really sad. I wasn't laughing or anything. but um. You know, so we live in this broken place, right? There's groaning. But then Paul says in verse 23, and not only the creation. It's not just the creation that's groaning. He says, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Here's where that half-saved element comes into play the already saved but i'm still waiting for my savior experience of the christian life we groan inwardly this isn't human groaning there there is such a thing you know injustice pain all of that that's human groaning but this is christian human redeemed human groaning Because Paul says, there's this thing that happens to us. We've partaken of the Spirit of God. We we are partakers of the first fruits of the Spirit. So we've been forgiven, and our shame has been wiped away, and and we're cleansed, and and God begins to work inside of our lives, and we, we love God, and we adore God, and we're longing for more of Him in our lives, but then also, we aren't. Also, there's a conflict. Also, there's temptation. And as we go through that, there's this groaning because it's like we're partly there, but we're not all the way there. This is really important for us to understand the current experience that we're facing. Because, you know, there's joy for us in Christ, absolutely. We need to rejoice in the Lord always. Yes, I say, Paul says, rejoice. Uh, there needs to be that celebration, you know, within our hearts. However, Paul's announcing it very clearly, at the same time, we groan. At the same time, you know, we're not all the way there. So, like for instance, you know, I'm so blessed by so many of the things that God is doing in this church family. I'm really blessed by it. We had last Wednesday night. We got together on the grass outside, and to me, it was just a beautiful moment where it felt to me as if God was just doing things and we were just reaping the benefits of just being in the presence of the Lord. It was great. I'm blessed. When somebody gives their life to Christ... we've had a couple of people give their lives to Christ already today. You know, that's something worth celebrating. It brings great joy. The angels in heaven sing and party and celebrate when one sinner on earth repents of their sin. So there's celebration and there's joy, but there's also a groaning because for every person that gives their life to the Lord, you know that there are thousands, millions, billions who don't know Christ who are on their way to an eternity without him, in separation from him. And it brings a groaning in the heart. Or, you know, f- perhaps, you know, for us, like, here's the, the church community. I remember when I first started walking with the Lord, and um, I had to shift a lot of friendships. And you know, I still loved the people, cared for the people that I was running with before I came to know the Lord, but they weren't going to be supportive of me in my Christian life, really at all at that time of my life. And I was so weak that I really needed to surround myself with uh, the people of God. And so I started, you know, engaging in and developing believing friendships and relationships. So just sharing with a guy this morning about that in his own life, new believer, like, hey, you know, in the fall, we're going to have small groups, life groups, you need to get in one, maybe with uh, a bunch of guys, and you you need to get to know some mature believers to help you and to be that support system for you. And, you know, for me, that was like a big part of my life there at the very beginning, you know, just like, man, it was so cool to me. I remember it. I was just shocked, you know, like, man, Christian people, there's a lot of really cool ones. And there's like forgiveness and there's kindness, and there's love, and the non-judgmental spirit, and like some really cool stuff. But you know, the reality is that over time, I've discovered that that's not just like, it's not just like this magical thing, like somebody gets saved, and they come into the kingdom of God, the family of God, the church of God, and we are just like a perfect family now. I've discovered that's not the case. You know, I've received some of the greatest like love and support and compassion and joy from people inside the body of Christ, but then also like some of the nastiest stuff also from people in the body of Christ. And unfortunately, I've been a vessel of hurting people as well. So it's just, it's like, but we're the church, but also we're not glorified yet. You know, it's just the way it is. And I think that this is so important for us to understand because if we come to the world and our current experience with a grid that doesn't include this and doesn't understand that everything that we are experiencing right now is so partial and incomplete, if we don't understand that, a cloud of depression will come over our hearts and we will despair. But if we understand This groaning that is in us, it is natural. It is part of the creation. It is part of the redeemed people of God. And as we'll see next week, it is part of what the Holy Spirit himself is doing right now. It helps us to just kind of go through and process what we're seeing. So Paul here is helping us understand, you know, that's where that pain comes from. You've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, but you're still here. You've tasted the fruit of the promised land like Joshua and Caleb did, but you still got to wander around for 40 years in the wilderness before you can go in. So there's a taste, but we're not all the way there. The day is going to come, though, when we will have, verse 23, the redemption of our bodies. And we will say with David, as for me... I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. So we are eagerly waiting right now. We are groaning inwardly. We are waiting for that redemption to come. All right? So it's what we long for, right? Are you guys there? No groaners here? Yeah, we groan. We groan. Okay, so... What do we do then? You know, that's the condition. All of that is really helpful to us to just kind of process what we're going through. And of course, going back to the cross is ultimately most helpful in that because Jesus himself groaned upon the cross as he endured for the joy that was set before him. But let's look at verse 24 and 25 and see how this shakes out with us. He says, for in this hope we were saved. What hope? The hope of the redemption of our bodies. We're, we're hoping for it. We're longing for it. We're looking forward to it. In this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So that's, that's what we're going through right now. We know that sinlessness is coming, but we don't see it yet. We know that we're gonna live in a condition where we can't hurt anybody else, and it's just beautiful community and family for, eternally, for eternity, but we don't see it yet. We're not, we're not there yet. So right now, we're hoping for it, but he says, but that which is seen, is seen is not hope. We don't hope for what we actually already see. You see in the Bible, biblical hope isn't... Um, like you and I use the word hope, you know, we use the word hope to mean like wishful longing, you know, like I hope he asks me out, you know, kind of thing. Like I've never said that, but um, you know, that's kind of the idea, you know, like just a, 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 like a longing, a, a wishful longing, you know, kind of thing. In the Bible though, hope isn't a wishful longing. It's a confident expectation of that which is to come. A confident expectation of that which is to come. And ultimately, bottom line, the biblical definition of hope is the coming of Jesus Christ. So for us, we are hoping, we are confident in, looking forward to, taking our minds and setting them upon the coming of Christ. Something that is to come. So we're hoping for something That has not yet been seen by us. We haven't lived it out. We haven't seen it. We haven't experienced it. If we did see it, Paul said, it wouldn't be hope anymore. So we're not going to have hope in eternity. You know, like I just hope, I'm hoping in the coming of Christ. You know, it's going to be like, well, he's right there. You know, just go hang out. (laughs) You know, he's here. So we hope now is what he's saying. So what does that look like? Well, he says, well, we hope, verse 25, for what we do not see. If we do that, we wait for it with patience. We wait for it with patience. All right, so this is, this is the deal. Biblical hope is the right approach. And it includes words like, throughout this whole text, eager waiting. Uh, like he said here, patient waiting. Hopeful waiting. So there's an anticipation that is strong, yet patient. Usually we err on one side or the other. A lot of times we err on the side of, I'm so tired of this. I'm so angry about this. I'm so frustrated with this. And we like to slap the groaning label on it because it's there in Romans 8, and it makes us feel better about it. But really it's just... Complaining, bitter, not enduring, not patiently waiting, not hoping, but kind of just like really taking yourself out of the game and just getting angry at the world, frust- frustrated with what you're seeing. And like, that's one mistake. That's not hopeful, patient waiting. That's what Paul is telling us that we're to do. But, but on one side of it, we can kind of slip into that. And then the other side, a lot of times, for people inside the body of Christ is a, a version of basically saying, it's, it's kind of a way of saying, I don't want to wait anymore. And, and kind of that perspective is to act like there is no groaning. And so this is where you'd get ideas like, uh, I mean, I believe that a person in this era could be, and, and that people often are physically healed by God from sicknesses and diseases. Oftentimes, as a sign of the power of God working here on earth. I believe that, but I don't believe, because the Bible doesn't teach it, that every Christian uh, must be healed of every illness right now or has like the power to do so or something like that if they just had enough faith or something like that. But where is that coming from? I think that in part, it's coming from a thing where we're saying, we don't want to wait anymore. We want heaven right now. We want our, uh, you know, financial, uh, you know, blessings right now. We want it all to happen right now. We're children of the king. We want it right now. And almost like a ignoring of the fact that groanings actually do exist. And so if you're a believer who's, you know, in pain or suffering or you have a burden in your heart, it's very hard to just be in kind of a context where it feels like, I just feel like I have to like continually have a smile on my face or else like I'm like not in this community. Uh, So we should be able to be both and to kind of have this balance where it's, look, there are times of just extreme joy and gladness in Christ, but also there's agony in this world. There's pain in this world. That is a hopeful waiting with patience for what the Lord is going to do in and for and through us. And with that hope, that is how we are at least in part able to endure. We endure, in this text, we learn present sufferings, the sufferings that are now. We endure futility and corruption. We endure groanings and pain. We endure even the things that we see All around us, we endure them because of the hope of the glory that is to come. You know, for me as a pastor, this is like a really important passage because, like I said, you know, there's certain things I'm praying for and desiring, a level of reviving amongst God's people in this nation, in this community, uh, in our own church, I long for that. I long for there to be an increase in a hunger for the things of God, an increase of prayerfulness and devotion unto God. And sometimes you see it, but I know the limitation even in my own heart. As much as I long for that, there's a limitation. It's a groaning. It's a groaning. So it's helpful to understand, okay, part of that is because we're already in, but we're not yet there. And we're just in this in-between, and it can be difficult but do not lose heart. Keep your hope on the Lord. He is coming back for all of us as his people, and the glory that will be revealed in us has no comparison to the sufferings of this present age. Amen? All right. Let me pray for you. Father, I just want to lift up, Lord, your people to you and... Lord, it's, uh, I think in a lot of ways, it's a heavy text, but a powerful truth for us, Lord, to consider the incredible rescue that you have designed for us. Help us, Lord. We're just walking through this right now, and we need your help, Lord. When that groaning comes into our bodies, into our minds, into our eyes and into our ears when we just are brought down by what we see even within the self, we pray, Lord, and ask that you'd remind us that this is only natural because we've partaken of the Spirit. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that that groaning is even an evidence that you have redeemed us and that you have saved us the same spirit that makes us cry out to the fathers, the same spirit working within us, bringing us to that place at times of despair over what we see and the limitation of our experience thus far. Lord, we look forward to the day when, as we sang earlier this morning, the church will be perfected and your people of every era will come together every tribe and nation and tongue and in perfect harmony and joy in this new world that you design for us, we will live in sinless, flawless perfection surrounded by and consuming the glory of God. We look forward to that moment. Give us a revelation of that, Lord, we pray. Here in this beautiful community when we go down and we see those sunsets lord over the water we pray lord that we would understand it's just a taste of the glory that's coming the beauty emanating from you from your throne help us lord we pray we thank you god